You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And welcome to another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, in the past interviews, what we've done is we've talked to people who have um, gotten rid of their cancer through the use of cannabis oil, and they've told us their stories. And I uh, got an email from uh, one fellow, Corey, that says, keep telling your healing stories. So that's, Great. that's good. Today we're going to talk to Kim Rudy, who's in uh, Baltimore. And uh, how did you and Kim hook up? I met Kim, um, I believe it was uh, in November of last year, and her partner messaged me because he had cancer and uh, everywhere. It was a very, very aggressive, far-spread cancer, and that's how Kim and I first met. So we'd converse quite a bit as uh, her partner Steve went through his treatment. Kim, it's uh, good of you to join us today. Thanks very much for giving us uh, kind of a different perspective uh, of this. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Kim, tell me about uh, Steve, your partner, and uh, the cancer he had. Uh, Steve had, as she said, multiple cancers. He had thyroid cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, and the prostate cancer metastasized to his bones which meant it was stage four. And at that time, they gave him two to five years to live. Two to five years. I think it was in the bladder as well, wasn't it? It, And yes, it started to progress into the bladder. Bladder, and it was in both femurs. I remember that. And in the sternum or collarbone or something? It was his shoulder, Ah. his ribs. He had a fully diseased prostate. And... Both, yes, both legs. He must have been... a lot of problem. Sorry, Kim, he must have been in a lot of pain. He definitely was. And he put a smile on his face, and he went about his business every day. And how old was Steve? He just turned 50 last December. 50. Was he undergoing conventional treatment at all? He started to, yes. He was uh, taking chemo pills, and when we discovered Corey... Shortly after he started uh, the cannabis oil, he stopped the chemo treatment. And he was on cannabis oil, and and what happened then? Well, he he stopped the chemo pills. Mm -hmm. His body detoxed from that. He was on cannabis oil for about two months. He wanted a good dose of it. He went for another PET scan in January. And he wanted to get the results before he decided to start another round. We finally got the results February 1st. And he was hoping for maybe 50% on the high side. I was hoping for 80%. I told him 80%, but I was hoping for like 90 to 95% because I really had faith in this. Mm -hmm. When we got the results, all of his spots were gone from the shoulder from the ribs, 
His fully diseased prostate was undetectable. It was gone in his left femur, and it was left. The only spot left was in his. I'm sorry, it was gone in his right femur. It was left a little bit in his left leg. And the only reason they couldn't tell how far it was is because the scan didn't go down that far. Corey, you sent out a notice to uh, people on uh, on Facebook on Facebook saying uh, about Steve saying his colon is clear, thyroid clear, prostate clear, bladder clear, shoulder bone clear, ribs clear, shins clear, left femur some cancer remaining. The, you and Steve must have been absolutely ecstatic to get these results. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> How did uh, how did Steve feel after after getting uh, the the results showing that nearly all of the cancer in his body and it was extensive all of the cancer in his body nearly all of it is gone. He was shocked. He was very grateful. Um, he was ready to do another round and get rid of the rest of it and move on with his life. So he really put his faith in the cannabis oil as opposed to the chemotherapy that they they wanted to do. He did. Yeah. We did. I remember the day you guys uh, Skyped me in uh, with the good news and Steve going, we showed him, to you, about yep. your daughter, we showed him, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. He was just, that, that, the look of uh, jubilation on his face was just yes. um, just amazing. I mean, for, when you look at this cancer that was so far spread, and in two months, he's got next to nothing left. It's right. just incredible. It speaks so much to the power of this plant and what it can do. I have to ask you, Kim, uh, and I ask all people this who have taken cannabis oil and dealt with the conventional medical establishment, what did they say about the results that Steve found after taking cannabis oil for two months? Oh, they attributed to the chemo drugs. Of course, uh, they've never seen uh, cancer cleared that quickly. Of course not, yeah. but they would never admit it. That's right. Did you tell them that Steve was on cannabis oil? Yes, and his doctor said he was the ninth person in six months to start it. Ninth person in so, six months. Yes, of this doctor's patients that were doing cannabis oil as well. It's interesting. I have a doctor here in Victoria who is he's a great doctor, and uh, when... Uh, I told him that Corey and I were going to get together and do a, a program, a radio program on cannabis oil. He was uh, he was very supportive. He says he gets about a dozen to 13, 14 people a day ask him about cannabis oil. Wow. wow. It's quite remarkable. That's great. Yeah, and when uh, you started, Corey, as we've mentioned on the program a number of times, there was very little information out there. Very little. Yeah. Very little, yes. Okay, Steve uh, Steve has a bit of uh, cancer remaining in his left femur. Does he start taking, uh, continue taking uh, cannabis oil, Kim? Uh, he had actually run out. He finished his course right before the PET scan, and he, when we got home, he ordered more to start a second round. Okay, and what happened next? (laughs) Take a deep breath, sweetie. Yeah, take a take a deep breath. Um, Because he decided the big pharma was trying to kill him with poison, Mm -hmm. um, he stopped taking his diabetes meds, which he did have diabetes. 
And I think we were also concerned with focusing on the cancer that we didn't push for the diabetes meds as well. And also Steve was a little bit of a hard head and he still would have done whatever he wanted. Um, but he stopped taking his diabetes meds. He did not eat good the following Sunday, the 7th. And he had a heart attack in his sleep and passed away. This is in February of this year. Correct. Uh, we got the results February 1st. He passed away February 8th, a week later. He also had a CPAP machine, and he chose not to wear it that night. A what machine? Well, CPAP machine for snoring. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. It, did he have sleep apnea? He did. Very bad. Yeah, You put one of those and, masks on, and it helps you breathe yeah. at night. Yeah. Yes. And, and the funny thing is, um, he woke me up sometime in the middle of the night. He was snoring in my ear. Oh. And all I kept thinking was, oh, would you please roll over and put that thing on and stop snoring? <laughs> I woke up at 6 a.m. He was gone. Do you talk to other people about about Steve and the use of cannabis oil? Absolutely. As soon as somebody tells me they have cancer, that's the first words out of my mouth. How do they feel about it? They, they think this story is incredible, and they, they're definitely open to it. They say it's expensive, but they're definitely they definitely see the the results, the benefit. Was it uh, difficult for you to obtain cannabis oil? Yes. We get a number of email requests, Corey, of people who ask. I, for one, the other day, I got one from uh, someone in Belgium uh, wanting to know where can I get it in yeah. Belgium, and I just simply said, "Listen, I have no idea what your laws are," and told them that there are marijuana dispensaries coffee shops in uh, the netherlands so they might want to try that but it's one of the one of the com- most common questions that uh, we received can you tell me will it work for such and such yeah. where do i get it yeah and we really can't tell them can we no <laughs> unfortunately kim was it uh, expensive for you to uh, buy the cannabis oil it's definitely more expensive than a regular prescription um i want to say it was like twelve hundred dollars twelve fifty for what was it 10 cc's or the big syringe okay would that have been for uh, a uh, a two-month supply for steve no actually he was <laughs> he took it pretty quickly he was going very aggressive with it yeah he meant business uh, he did, and he obviously needed it. Um, I think we reordered one, so yeah, it was $2,500. Yeah, so how did he handle getting high? <laughs> he was incapacitated for all that time. Um, I remember Corey telling us a story that she had a couple that was taking cannabis oil together, and the husband was kind of big, which Steve was, and the wife was a tiny little thing, and she said that the husband was higher than a kite and it didn't affect the wife and steve was incapacitated (laughs) (laughs) he could not move Corey, we've uh, we've talked about this before you never really know how it's going to affect you it's not like alcohol no it isn't where someone can take uh, someone who is large can take three drinks someone who's small can only take two one or two yeah one or two yeah with cannabis oil you, you never really know. Yeah, it completely depends on your physiological makeup. You just you don't know who's going to be able to handle it and who isn't. I get people all the time saying to me, 
ah, I've smoked it all my life. I'll be fine. And I say, this is a different beast. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is. How are you handling life now, uh, Kim? One day at a time. One day at a time. And I, I just tell everybody, cancer or anything else, cannabis oil. I've never smoked pot, probably never will, and I'm a full believer in this. So, Kim, as as somebody who was his caregiver, what would be some of the things you'd maybe say to somebody who's trying to help their loved one get through this right now and is maybe not sort of oil savvy? What were some of the issues that came up with you guys when you were watching Steve take this? Uh, The big thing is be patient. Expect them to be incapacitated and out of commission for the whole treatment time. My first problem with it, um, which you were a huge help, um, I was so afraid of dosing this wrong, mixing it incorrectly and hurting him. It it scared me. And you were a godsend in walking me through it, Um, just trying to get the proper mix of oil and cannabis oil so that everything worked properly. it's tough. Yeah, it's it's tough. not a walk in the park, is it? No, it's you, not. It, you, I, I thought it would be much easier, and it was not. It it tested my will. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, he was uh, a very stubborn individual, too, so it's that probably little, was a little testy, too. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. We definitely yeah, tested our relationship with that. Well, I, I'll bet it was uh, easier to see Steve uh, incapacitated for uh, that period of time instead of him throwing up in the toilet from chemotherapy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion, Kim? It's really good of you to uh, to do this and give us a, a different perspective of uh, someone who has lived with actually very, very severe cancer. Got through it, but uh, circumstances uh, with his other ailment, diabetes, uh, caught up with him. And uh, it was very nice of you to come on the program and uh, share your story. We really appreciate it. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Uh, Thank you for having me, and keep doing the great work, and hopefully this becomes a little more mainstream soon. Great. Yeah, we'll dedicate this show to Steve Truth in his memory. Absolutely. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And as a note to uh, all listeners, we'd just like to say what we want to do at Cannabis Health Radio is expand our services. Eventually, we would like to do this program live and take calls from people all around the world. But to do that, we need your help, your financial help. We need to buy more equipment, newer equipment, hire a tech person to take those calls, along with other things that we are unable to do at the moment. If you can help us out in any way, price of a cup of coffee a couple of times a week, $10 a month, please go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and go to the, the donate page and make a small donation. It doesn't matter how much. No donation is too small. No donation is too large. If you'd like to do that, go to our website, the donate page, and help us out. Thanks very much. In the final segment of this program, I'd like to play this video of a man named David Schmader. It's a funny, informative talk about marijuana and his use of marijuana. And he's a multi-talented writer, playwright, newspaper columnist, and performance artist with wit and intelligence. Here's David Schmader. When I was invited here to give a talk on marijuana, 
I wasn't sure exactly what that meant. <laughs> on the subject of or just on? I hate to disappoint, so I'm doing both. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Have you ever really looked at your hand? I tell that joke because according to lore, people high on marijuana are amazed by their limbs, often while slow-motion speed-eating Doritos in their parents' basement. I hate this joke because it invokes a stereotype that is reductive at best and supports a system of diabolical lies at worst. But I'm getting ahead of myself. My name is David Schmader, and I am a pothead. By this, I mean that when it comes time to enjoy an adult intoxicant, I will forego beer, wine, and spirits in favor of marijuana, which, for me, offers a world of nuanced delight and inspiration beyond the more crude effects of booze. But I am not here to proselytize. And for a long time, I kept quiet about my own enjoyment of weed. It was illegal for most of the time I was enjoying it, and... Why make myself vulnerable as an out-and-proud lawbreaker if I didn't have to? I also dreaded being saddled with the stoner stereotype of having my every move interpreted through the lens of pothead, a label that calls up images of Mr. Magoo levels of forgetfulness and passivity bordering on the comatose. So what if I used weed not to escape, but to engage with art and ideas and food and dogs and hilariously terrible movies? I was but one man, and I couldn't reconfigure society's image of the pothead all by myself. I stayed in the closet. And I'm familiar with the closet. <laughs> I grew up gay in the pre-Ellen bad old days when the only out gays were those who couldn't or didn't want to hide it. Drag queens and butch lesbians and gay bar raid victims whose faces wound up in newspapers. And these trailblazers might have been the whole of queer representation if Harvey Milk hadn't urged everyone to come out, especially all the non-remarkable queers who'd previously flown under the radar. Only then could an honest portrait of this subculture emerge. It's the same with weed. Only, instead of drag queens and butches, weed's visibility parade is led by Cheech and Chong and Snoop Dogg and unlucky subjects of weed busts. And I love drag queens and Snoop Dogg. But leaving such exceptional outliers to do the heavy lifting of representation not only skews perception, it allows damaging lies to flourish. And the primary source of these lies is, unfortunately, the U.S. government, which has strenuously vilified weed and its users for over 80 years. In 1930, the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics declared, and I quote, 
Marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes and makes darkies think they're as good as white men. This type of slander presented as science was codified in 1970 when the Controlled Substances Act scheduled marijuana as a Schedule I narcotic, a designation reserved for extremely dangerous drugs with no accepted medical use. It is hard to overstate the pernicious effects of this weed's Schedule I classification. For one thing, by scheduling weed as a dangerous drug with no medical benefit, the government makes it extremely difficult to conduct research that would prove that marijuana is a not very dangerous drug with a wealth of medical benefits. For example, to study allegedly less dangerous Schedule II drugs, scientists just, uh, the Schedule II drugs like cocaine or crystal meth, allegedly less dangerous, Schedule II, to study these drugs, scientists just whip up some crystal meth and study it. But to study Schedule I marijuana, researchers must be pre-approved by the FDA, apply for government-grown marijuana from the National Institute of Drug Abuse, and be temporarily deputized by the DEA, as only federal agents are allowed to handle Schedule I narcotics. Add to this the fact that most funding for drug research comes from the pharmaceutical industry, which views weed as a threat and has a vested interest in keeping it labeled as a dangerous drug with no medical benefits. But as patients in two dozen medical marijuana states can tell you, weed has a ton of medical benefits, from quashing nausea to minimizing arthritis pain to controlling seizure disorders. And in the face of all this cognitive dissonance, with the government's lies chafing against the actual experience of humans, speaking honestly about my own weed use seemed like the least I could do. So I started doing it. I'm a writer who often writes about myself, and being honest about weed was a lot like being honest about gayness. Both called for greater specificity. Instead of saying I was on a date, say I was out with a guy. When writing about celebrating with friends, mention the bong. When I started this coming out stoner campaign, weed was still illegal where I lived. But I worked in an alternative news weekly that encouraged radical honesty and where I'd gotten high with the editor and publisher. <laughs> still, affixing myself with the stoner label was itchy. And I offset dread of stereotyping by stepping up my professional courtesy game. I was aggressively punctual, ostentatiously well-organized, and as reasonably well-motivated as every other person on Earth. And the world turned. Now it's 2015, and within a five-mile radius of where you sit here in Seattle, there are a half-dozen stores where anyone over 21 can purchase marijuana for recreational use. There are also a couple dozen dispensaries where authorized patients can buy marijuana for medicinal use. Meanwhile, 300 miles east, selling the small amount of marijuana for any reason can earn the seller a life sentence. An insane state of affairs summed up well by CNN's Mike Riggs. It should be cruel and unusual to mete out life-without-parole sentences for a drug so mainstream that Colorado is using state-collected pot taxes to build new schools. Yeah. And uh, sorry about the note cards. 
I'm really bad at memorizing. So we need to strive for integrity in our nation's pot laws. And a good first step is moving beyond the marijuana monster myths peddled by the feds. One such myth, marijuana is a gateway drug. No, it's not. The gateway drug theory holds that people that smoke weed are more likely to try harder drugs. But the main thing pushing weed smokers towards harder drugs are black market weed dealers selling harder drugs. The prohibition creates the connection. Another myth. People just want medical marijuana to get high. Shut up. The most exciting developments in medical marijuana involve strains that are incapable of making anyone high, opening a world of treatment for people who want their medicine without a side of stoned, like kids with seizure disorders. Also, it is fascinating how this people-just-want-X-to-get-high argument is never applied to prescription painkillers, which kill 10,000 people a year... Prescription painkillers kill 10,000 people a year while no one in the history of the world has ever died from marijuana. Another myth. Marijuana will make you stupid and maybe insane. This one's harder to dismiss. (laughs) And not because it is true, but because it can be true for weed's most vulnerable potential users, which are kids. For those whose brains and bodies are still developing, marijuana can create a lifetime of problems, from diminished learning capacities to an enhanced chance of mental illness. And humans under 21 should not smoke or otherwise ingest marijuana. And actually, maybe even 21 is too young. If I were in charge, people wouldn't be able to start smoking weed until halfway through grad school. Earlier, I mentioned Seattle's many weed stores, all of them raking in huge legal profits on the same streets where earlier weed entrepreneurs earned prison sentences. And if recreational marijuana is ever to be a truly guilt-free pleasure, we need to rectify our nation's pot laws and do right by those whose lives were ruined by draconian war on drugs sentencing. For now, if you are someone who appreciates marijuana, either as medicine or diversion or both, come out. You don't need to cast yourself as a marijuana spokesmodel, but stop treating your weed-based pleasures as a source of shame to be kept secret. And the rest of you, stop lazily accepting the old stoner lore. I understand that we live in an age of fewer and fewer acceptable stereotypes, and we want to cherish those few we have left. But the stupid stoner one is just boring. Seriously, if I could get every weed-smoking surgeon and lawyer and New York, New York Times best-selling author I know here with me on stage, and if we had spent the past couple weeks rehearsing the thriller dance, we could blow your faces off. <laughs> Thank you. That was playwright and uh, author David Schmader. He spoke at a TEDx Rainier conference in Seattle in November of 2015. And there you have it, another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks very much for listening wherever you are in the world. We very much appreciate it. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website 
CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.